Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia. This week, Carrie and I are talking about handheld foods. You know, the kinds of things that are complete meals all in one. We're talking about burritos. We're talking about empanadas. We're talking even about piroshki and some other unexpected handheld foods. And as always, we're sharing memories and stories. So many of these foods we've eaten together. And there's also stuff that's new to me and new to Carrie. So stay tuned for more. Hey, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. It's so good to see you. It is so good to see you too. Um, I have a burning thought that I want to bring to you today. I can't wait to hear. Well, I've been thinking about one of the ideas that you offered in a recent episode on picnic food. You mentioned that when you and Jonathan were in Hawaii on your honeymoon, you know, you had lived there for a couple of years and so you're kind of like experiencing this with him and that you guys would pick up onigiri right? That's is that right. how you say yeah. it? Yeah. To take to the beach. And like, this is not a food that I'm super familiar with. So just for our listeners, will you please tell us what onigiri is again? Yeah. It's these Japanese rice balls that are usually filled with something like seaweed. They can be meat or fish, tuna, whatever. And then you wrap them in seaweed. And they're also either rice balls or rice triangles. And you find them a lot in convenience stores in Japan, but also they're really common right. in Hawaii where there's a strong Japanese culture. But it's like a handheld food. It's a right? total handheld snack. Yes. It's just it's something ha- you yeah. take on the go. You were saying like you would take it to the beach or you guys were going on these hikes. And it got me thinking about when you and Jonathan got married because you were saying you were on your honeymoon. You got married in Seattle on Bainbridge Island. Wait, I have to stop you because I know we've talked about this before, but I can't. we can't bring up my wedding without the story of that you were there when Jonathan and I met. <laughs> And that the first night we met, yes, Jonathan yeah. said, you're invited to the wedding. Yes, he did. He and did. We always say when we tell that story to other people, we always say, and she came to the wedding. And I and, came to the wedding. It was a we very came- small wedding. Yeah, Yeah. it was a very, very small wedding. And Mac was actually born in February and you got married in July. You were such a trooper to travel (laughs) with him. Well, we were so thrilled to come. And, you know, LA to Seattle is not a super long trip. You know, that was a great trip for us. So we stayed in the city of Seattle and I had never been there before. I don't actually think James hadn't been there before either. So we were very new to the city, but that's your hometown. That's where I was born. Yeah. That's where you were born and raised. And there's like that fish market. That's kind of like the famous place. It's, well, right? it's at Pike Place Market. Yes, so Pike, Pike Place, Place Market, Market has yes. a bunch of different vendors, and the central vendor is the fish stand, and they're very famous for throwing fish. Yes. And so we stayed in that neighborhood, and you know, I remember being like, oh, yeah, this is the place that people go in Seattle. But I have to tell you, that is not at all what I think of when I think of Seattle. And this is how it ties into what we've been talking about with the onigiri and the handheld meals is that you suggested that we go to this place called Poroshki. Piroshki, yes. which is all these like basically handheld pastries, yes. both savory and sweet. And anytime I think of Seattle, your wedding, being there with my family, my baby, that is what I think of because that was such an amazing place to go for lunch. I mean, as you're saying the name of that place, I can literally smell the pastry. Oh, like you walk it's up. so special. 
right? Yes. It's yes. like the most incredible smell. For people who don't know what piroshki are, they're Russian, Soviet, Ukrainian, all over sort of former Soviet countries, you'll find them. And they're both savory or sweet pastries. And they can be either made from yeasted dough or from more of like a sort of traditional kind of pie dough, or they can be made with a kind of puff pastry. So there's different styles, but the most- And they're tra- all different shapes. They're, they're not, all there's not like shapes. one shape. Like no. when you think of like a savory croissant, like a ham and gruyere croissant or a spinach and cheese croissant, like it's usually in the same shape. But these piroshkis are like works of art. They're, they're so, so- well, that place is particularly special, I have to say, but the kind that like my grandmother used to, my dad's mom used to make, and the kind that you can find like on, on the streets of Brighton Beach, which is a heavily Ukrainian immigrant area, but they have these little carts on the street of piroshki vendors. Oh and gosh. I don't know how much their prices are now, but even like five years ago, the prices were like you get a one pastry for like 75 cents or a dollar. No way. Yeah. And the choices are kind of always the same. They're either filled with cabbage or potato and onion or some kind of meat like ground beef. That and reminds me of like yeah. a knish, right? Like a like you could get like – is that what so, a knish is like? No, knishes are a little different. Knishes are a different kind of pastry. They're oh. more of like a sort of bready dough okay. um, that isn't quite as uh, rich. And they're usually – they're just filled in the center, usually with mashed potatoes. That's what makes it similar. And sometimes with cabbage and other things. But these piroshki and the kind that they sell in Seattle are often made with a yeasted dough and it's stuffed with its filling and then it's deep fried like a donut. So it's like a savory. <laughs> it's outrageous. It's really. And so it's kind of greasy, but yes. like in the best way, right? It's almost like a complete meal in one thing. And you can eat it as a snack, but you could also eat it as a meal or you could eat a couple as a meal. So I'm curious, do you remember what you ordered? Like which kind you got? What I remember actually is that I was so overwhelmed and excited that I ordered like so many of them. We couldn't eat. It was just James and I. Mac was a baby. He couldn't even eat anything. Yeah, I I actually don't remember the specifics. I'm sure that there was some kind of spinach one that we had. What I do remember is that we mostly had savory instead of sweet. Um, We might have gotten one sweet one to eat. But do you have favorites from there? I do. I mean, I have favorites in general. So, And just to to give some more background around this dish, and like everyone has their own recipe, everyone has their own shapes and style, though they tend to be, when they're homemade, they tend to be kind of football shaped, like small, tiny footballs. My grandmothers both made them, but they both made them totally different. My father's mother always deep fried her piroshki the way I told you before. She would make a yeasted dough and then she would fill it and then she would deep fry it like what a donut. What would she fill it with? I think hers were more like potato, meat, or cabbage. They both had similar fillings. Okay. My, but my mom's mom, who I was closer to by virtue of living right by her, we live in the same city. I spent a lot of time with her. She was very health conscious, so she didn't eat a lot of deep fried things. So she would always use kind of more of like a sh- shortcut pastry. She had this one one sort of pastry that she used for like a lot of different recipes and she would always bake her piroshki and so hers were you know filled with cabbage or sometimes she would do the potato onion mixture but then in the fall and I've mentioned this before because I brought it to you she would always do a sweet one filled with Hubbard squash right. so they both I was wondering when you started to say she yeah. had this 
dough, if that was also the dough that for the Hubbard squash pastry. So then when I started making my version of them, I kind of married both grandmother's styles. So I <laughs> use a yeasted dough, but I don't fry it. I bake it. They're more like roll bread rolls, like glossy, rich bread rolls that are filled, still kind of football shaped, but small. Oh and they're not deep fried. And how, I, how apropos that your pastries are a mix of the two of them. I mean, there were two such big influences on my life. So I'll link my recipes for my dough. But yeah, my all-time favorite, the one like I have to have if I'm buying it somewhere or making it at home is cabbage. And it's not just cabbage, it's cabbage and carrot. And it's very, very simple. But it's like the cabbage gets so sweet with the carrot. And then you have lots of salt and pepper. And it's just like so nice. And you can make it the day before. And It's like soul food. It's such soul food. It was such a special experience just going into this beautiful bay the smell was amazing and usually when I get into a place like that I do this in the donut shop too where they're like what can I get you and I was like I need a box (laughs) (laughs) please get a box and tell me when it's full and that's when I'll stop ordering and I think I did that that day too but I just think it's it's so fun to think about a meal that you can hold in your hand Yes, a complete meal. And I'm sure, like you said, soul food, and it's soul food for a reason. There is like a utilitarian reason you would need a handheld meal. And of course, like we've talked a lot about sandwiches, which is one of those ultimate handheld meals. And if you want to hear more about that, you can go to our veggie sandwiches episode. We've also talked about it in our episode about potlucks, I think. But I like this other, like kind of the unexpected handheld meal. Well, what it also reminds me of, and this is a place that we have also been to together, but there was a time when my family was living in Montreal. Mac was also really little. So I think that's probably where this memory is also coming from is, oh, listen, everybody goes to like the parks, especially when the weather is nice. But like when you have a kid, you kind of live at the park, you know, it's just like, when can I get my kid to the park? And then you can bring them home to take a nap. And so there was this bakery near our apartment in Montreal, and it was actually a Greek bakery. I think it was called Samos. Uh-huh. And I remember the woman we, we spoke to, she was just this really vibrant and it's like she and her husband had come from Greece and they had established this bakery in Montreal. And I remember her telling me that she didn't even know French when she moved to Montreal, which is, you know, they speak French at least half the time there. With French. Yeah, it's a French speaking country. Yeah. Or, sorry, French speaking region of Canada. Yes, yeah. exactly. But what I remember from this bakery was that she had these, it was an empanada and it was filled with ground beef. And we would pick that up. Mac and I would go, I would roll his little stroller in there. And we pick up these like little beef empanadas and take them to the park and eat them. And they were extraordinary in their simplicity. At the Greek place, she was calling them empanadas? She called it an empanada. I kid you not. She And I don't know if there's like a different... Here, I wonder, because <laughs> there are like Greek dishes like that. And there's, you know, so much stuff of like phyllo wrapped yes, pastries, right? Yes, it was not right? that. And it's not that. No, I get what you're saying. It was really an empanada. And it's just what I love about this concept of these handheld meals that come in some kind of pastry form is they're so universal, like literally around the globe from India to South America to everywhere in between. There's handheld savory food inside of some kind of pastry. Yeah. And it's such a great portable food that you could walk around and eat. And it reminded me of going to Proshki and Proshki and then going, you know, going to this bakery in Montreal. And so I just wonder, like, do you have other memories of handheld meals like this? Well, what you made me think of with the empanadas, and I love a good empanada, and I feel like that's also 
into like a very LA food. Like there's always like empanadas at every farmer's market and all over the city. But what it actually made me think of is burecas. And you and I got to experience yes. incredible burecas together yes. at a yes. place called Burecas in in the valley in Los Angeles when I came to visit you. But it's really similar and it's actually something I make with some regularity and I used to make at the deli all the time. And so anyone can make this at home and that's what I want to offer, which is get some puff pastry. And I prefer an all butter puff pastry if you can find one because I find like the Pepperidge Farms, which is made with mar- margarine, you can really taste it. Yeah. So if you can find a butter puff pastry, pastry that's usually worth a little extra money. And sometimes you can find those in not just specialty stores, but Russian stores or Persian markets. Sometimes I mean, they'll it, have Trader it. Trader Joe's has a puff pastry around the holidays. It's seasonal. Not always, it's a seasonal item. I but know. you can stock up. You can stock you can, up. You can, can stock go up. in your freezer. Okay, go in your freezer. Back <laughs> to our freezer episode. But you take, so you take a good puff pastry and Trader Joe's does have a really good butter puff pastry. Yeah. And then the fillings, I'll tell you what I usually make. I make one with feta and herbs or feta and spinach. Yeah. Literally crumbled feta, chopped up herbs. And then if you want to wilt some spinach, you can do that. You have to cook the spinach before you add it to the filling. Right, so that you can get the moisture out. But the other thing that barecas and empanadas are great for is if you have like leftover something. So I love to make it with leftover brisket. That's like my number one. It's so good to make a little handheld puff pastry brisket thing. And then, oh my gosh. But you could do it like leftover taco meat. You could make shredded chicken and then add some cooked onion or something to it and put Almost that like into- chicken tinga? You could make it, yes. You could go yeah. in so many directions. But And I love this idea of taking mashed potatoes and repurposing them. And if you just add some caramelized onion to mashed potatoes, that can make a filling for an empanada, for a bureka, yeah. for a piroshki, for a dumpling. It's like endless. But- but the brilliance of this too is also like that they, it probably came out of a sense of like there's a little bit of leftover, right? right? There's a little bit of leftover mashed potato. There's a little bit of leftover brisket. You're not talking about a five pound brisket that you've cooked that you're then like filling into pastries. It's like after you've had a couple of meals of that, you might have mentioned this in our freezer episode where you're like, I keep the brisket frozen and then there's like this little bit left that I then sometimes make these pastries with, you know? Yeah. And it just like came to me another good combination would even be like cooked cauliflower and peas, almost like a Indian samosa. Like a samosa. Yeah. Which by the way, is another brilliant handheld food. There's a a vendor at Hollywood Farmer's Market that makes these incredible samosas and they fry them fresh right there. And I oftentimes walk around the market eating them or just take a bunch of them home and we end up eating them for lunch. And it's like a perfect meal. Samosas are so good. Have you ever made them? We've made some samosas with our friends that are Indian. But you know, what's funny about my friend Jamie's mom is that she doesn't want us to have her recipes because (laughs) she really wants to make them for us. And so we're kind of always guessing how to make. Jamie's like kind of nailed the filling, but we haven't nailed the The outside outside yet. And so it's a work in progress currently, but we did make samosas on Christmas this year. And you're deep Um, frying them? Like they're like... Like typically like a deep fried kind of triangular hot pocket <laughs> filled with yes. vegetables, right? Yes. But we were actually baking ours. Really? Um, it kind of goes back to what you're talking about with your two grandmothers. Like one fried hers and the other one baked hers. And part of the idea of this is that it is so expansive. There's so mm-hmm. many ways that you can do it. The dough can be a different version almost every time. You know, yeah. some, sometimes they're yeasted, sometimes they're 
more like a pie crust. And sometimes there's something in between, you know? And every family has their own way of making it and what feels right to them. I think one of the other reasons why I was going in this direction this week is because my friend Maylin, whose parents are Chinese, she brought over this, what she jokingly called them Chinese tamales, but they're called Zongzi. Wow. And they're also in kind of that triangular shape. I mean, I think it sounds like similar to the onigiri. It's like a sticky rice and then inside of hers is like barbecue pork. Wow. And then it's wrapped in a banana leaf and it's shaped in a triangle and then it's tied. And so you steam them. And that's what makes it like a tamale. That's what makes it like a tamale. It's Did so, you take a picture? I have a picture of them. Yeah, you she need sent to me see. She sent me a picture of the pile of them. She had made like a bunch of them and then she sent a few for us to try, but I'd, you know, I'd love for you to post that so we can all see. You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because honestly, I have a similar favorite handheld food um, besides Nigiri that is made by this woman, Mandy, who runs a food stall at the farmer's market called Money Bowl here in Portland. Okay. She's Chinese. She immigrated from China to Portland and she's at the PSU farmer's market for locals who want to know. And she's also at Wednesday at Shemansky. And she makes these, she just calls them rice balls. But what's amazing about Mandy, I've, I've really been a fan of her food for so long. And my entry point to her food were these rice balls. If you get to know her, she'll really talk to you about about her thinking behind all her ingredients because she's very, very interested in nutrition and health and how we heal our bodies with food. So she makes this incredible sticky rice that's made with a combination of grains and different colored rices. And then you get your choice of filling. She fills it either with a curried braised chicken mixture, but not like an Indian curry. It has a different spice profile because as we know, curries exist all over the world. And then she has a braised tofu option. And then she has a braised pork option. Then she adds to whatever protein you choose, uh, toasted peanuts, fresh cilantro. And if you want, she'll add chili oil if you like it spicy. And of course you could say you don't want any of these things. Then she forms that into a ball. I was going to say, that was my question. Like she's yeah. filling them on demand. She's filling them on demand. They're so all you're made going to and order. order. Yeah. You're going in and ordering it. And she's, you can ask her to put these things in, like oh, including yeah. like, so she puts the protein in and then, she, and then she adds the cilantro and the peanuts inside. Yes. And the chili oil. Wow. So it's and like she, she like takes this big, big scoop of the sticky rice. She kind of puts it on a layer of plastic wrap and she – in her palm. It's very sushi-like, but almost, like in your hand. Yeah, like onigiri-like. And then she yeah. like dips it down, adds the filling, and then adds the spices and the nuts. And then she like wraps up the ball with the plastic wrap. And then she hands it to you and it's like this portable handheld complete meal. And it's like so hard to eat just one in a way, but one is almost <laughs> also the perfect amount. Right, right. Well, that was my question for Maylin. The gift came through my husband. She had seen James. And so she texted me and she was like, I'm sending these jokingly Chinese tamales home with James. And she, then she sent me the picture. And I was like, how is the shape made? Is it made with a mold? And she said, no. I just remember watching my mom when I was a kid, like form them into these beautiful triangles. And then you wrap them up. They're a gift. It's like this little tiny gift. And then you open it up and take it out of the banana leaf. It gets so special. I love that. I'm dying to try one of hers. Speaking of wrapped gifts, you know, one thing that's kind of obvious and I'm sort of surprised we've never ever talked about, but if you're thinking about handheld foods, how have we not talked about burritos? I can't, I, by the way, I'm so embarrassed that we haven't talked about burritos because I'm really embarrassed. It's a it's a perfectly constructed handheld treat. It's interesting. It's really not my go-to food. Jonathan 
loves burritos and has is kind of always heartbroken that Portland doesn't have the burrito scene that LA has. And also right. he lived for a long time in San Francisco, which actually San Francisco has incredible burritos. Yes. But I tend to be more of a taco person, which in its own <laughs> right is a handheld food. Yes. But the thing about a burrito, it's the ultimate complete meal. You're not staying hungry after a burrito. No. And it is perfect because if you even if you think about any taco, whether it's like a large taco or just like a tiny street taco, you're usually eating multiples of them. They're either all wrapped individually and you're having to unwrap several of them or they're all kind of wrapped together and then you have to pick them each up. Again, to sort of apply this idea of like going to the park, it's like my family of three, me and James and Mac, we're getting burritos to go to the park. It's like you're getting three burritos and then you just have this little bag of three burritos and each person gets their burrito. I don't have to share with anyone else. I can make mine spicy. Mac doesn't have have his spicy. James can have his porky burrito. I like beans and cheese. No, stop. I was gonna (laughs) no, I was gonna like surprise you that my favorite burrito is bean and cheese. I'm like literally shocked that's your favorite burrito. If my child could eat bean a bean and cheese burrito every day of his life, he would be the happiest person alive. Do you know my favorite bean and cheese in all of Los Angeles? Is it a Escuela? No. Oh, where is it? It's old school. It's this place called Yucca's on uh, Hillhurst in Los Feliz. Do you know that place? I don't know that place. It's a tiny little stand. It's on Hill, Hillhurst across from the Albertsons. Oh, yeah. Then that's yeah. right. It's right it's, by all time. I've like It's run by, by these women. Times. They're yeah. known for their cochinita pibil. Like, okay. Ruth Rachel has written about this place. Oh, it's a very I, like amazing. admired place. But we used to live in that neighborhood. So yes. always got their bean and cheese, which is unreal. Oh my gosh. And there is an art to bean and cheese. I feel like people who maybe haven't lived in LA or haven't been around a great burrito might think it's like something too simplistic. One of the things that I'm missing is people who make beans well. There's an art to the beans. Yeah, there's an art to the beans and there's an art. And I guess if your entry point is like Taco Bell bean and cheese burrito, which by the way, I have eaten many of those in my lifetime. You know, yeah, you might not think a bean and cheese burrito can really be this elevated experience, but in the neighborhood in which I live, which I think most people would not consider a destination for good Mexican food. But at the end of my street, there's this place called Escuela. And then right down the street is a place called El Coyote Cafe, which has been there for a very long time. And Mac can't decide which one he likes the beans at better. He's like, the beans are so good at El Coyote. The beans are so good at Escuela. And I think if you make a bean really well, like that's kind of all you need is a a good bean and some cheese. I do think a burrito, when it excels in its simplicity, that's like a great burrito. Because I think a lot of the burrito culture in America is around like excessiveness. I don't mean to, I'm not even judging this because there's a place for that too. There's the fun of like stuffing a burrito with every single thing you can stuff it with. Like that's its own joy. But I also just think when you get a great burrito, you know, let's depart from beans and cheese, but when it's a really good guisado braise. It's a really good chicken tinga yes. it's a, or a really good grilled carne asada. And then really good rice, really good beans, an excellent salsa on the side. You don't need anything else. Well, and I think we're really forgetting like a big burrito category, which is like a breakfast burrito. I was going to ask you. And speaking of All Time makes this amazing breakfast burrito that has full of a ton of stuff. But when I think of really amazing breakfast burritos, I actually think of this guy that used to work at the farmer's market. He worked for my friend, AJ. His family grows a lot of citrus. And this guy's name was Gabe. And 
he was an adult who had a family, including kids, but his mother lived near him and his mother would make homemade flour tortillas every day. That makes and a difference. That makes a difference. This woman, I wish I could hug her. I don't know her, but she would make Gabe this crazy amount of breakfast burritos and pack them for him. So when he would drive into LA to work the farmer's market, he would have something to eat. And she always made extras for other people to eat. Oh and my so gosh. if I got there early, early enough, he would share one of these homemade flour tortilla breakfast burritos. And sometimes they were just beans and eggs. Sometimes they would have like a little bit of bacon in them. Sometimes they would have a little hot dog in them, like yeah. a little like a little piece of hot dog. Yeah. But it was always homemade beans, always a little bit of egg, and always a little bit of cheese. And it was I have to say in the burrito category, a breakfast burrito is almost my go-to more than anything else. The best breakfast burrito I've ever had is in Los Angeles at this legendary place called Tacos Villa Corona in Atwater Village. Do you know I, about this? No, I don't I've never been there. It's another family run spot. It's like mm. it's another one of those places that people found out about like Bourdain went there on oh, his wow. LA episode. It's like you order out of a window. It's so good. It's just like all these unassuming places in LA, but I do have to say there's an excellent breakfast burrito in Portland, also at our farmer's market and on Saturdays at PSU. And it's a New Mexican style of breakfast burrito. They're specifically New Mexican. And what, what makes it New Mexican? I'm not 100% sure, but this is what they add. So is it they the have, chilies? They do have a very specific, you know, red and green salsa that tastes okay. amazing. But I think it's that they add potatoes and they add potatoes, the kind that are cooked on like a plancha, cubed, like almost like a potato hash. Okay. And it's seasoned in a specific way and I think it may have peppers and onions it may just have onions and then you get eggs of course and cheese and then your choice if you want to vegetarian or if you want bacon or sausage and it is so good like each element is just perfectly seasoned which I think is actually what a breakfast burrito really needs it's like you just don't want anything bland and back to the whole idea of this episode where we started was like these perfect handheld food and Gabe my friend Gabe would bring them to the farmer's market it's like he was working. He was working the whole time he was there. The minute he arrived, he would unload the truck and set up the the stand and all the tables and all the things. And then there's just people constantly needing help. And so he can, with one hand, hold that burrito in his hand. And it's like, if you're shopping at the farmer's market, you can walk around. If you're at the park with your kid, you can push them with one hand on the swing and hold a burrito in the other hand. It's making me want to make homemade tortillas because making your own breakfast burrito at home really isn't that hard. And you could even like freeze them, honestly, and reheat them on the go. Like if you need something breakfast in advance. Well, I'm so glad you said that. Because I did that recently. Did you? I did. I didn't make homemade tortillas. I I bought them. But there's a a New York Times recipe. It was written by Yawande Komalafe. Uh Uh-huh. And it's a breakfast burrito recipe, which I don't know that I would think to freeze them, but she gives permission in her, yeah. you know, in her description of the dish. It's very simple. And so I think I made like 25 of them. We, we made them for, it took a couple hours. We did it together, my family and I, and we froze them all. And then we took them on a camping trip. It's so nice to have that too. If like you want to yeah. meal prep or have breakfast for on the go during a busy time. But I've been really interested in making my own burritos, not burritos, making my own tortillas because I know they're so easy to make. I've made them before. They don't actually take that much time. And I'm talking about flour ones. Either yeah. corn, because like with the corn ones, you want one of those presses yes. that will flatten it. But the flour ones, you don't need that. They're free form. They're free form and yeah. you can roll them out and they're so easy and they make 
They're just so, so good. They're so good. Yeah. I made them a couple times in pandemic, you know, when I had a lot more time on my hands. Yes. I made good flour tortillas. And if you just take a flour tortilla and add a little bit of butter and salt, like there's almost nothing better. It's a perfect snack. And you're making me think about one other like handheld thing. And I'm just going to dip my toes into sandwich territory without totally going there, (laughs) which is... (laughs) I thought we weren't going to talk about sandwiches. We're not really going to talk about sandwiches. Okay. But I really love a English muffin breakfast sandwich and I don't eat McDonald's like I've never I wasn't allowed to eat that growing up so I never developed a taste for it. So like there's something about like egg and melty cheese, whatever other thing you want to add in there in an English muffin, which I also want to make at home. I've been wanting to make a batch. Oh, they're so good. And those freeze super well in advance too. Oh, I never thought about freezing those. You really do. That's a great idea. I don't think about freezing freezing scrambled eggs, but it actually does work out just fine. I think you kind of need the cheese. But every fast food place in the world freezes their eggs. Maybe there's someone who makes them fresh. So then you can just use your own really great eggs at home. Yeah, or like those little egg bites, like you know that you can get at Starbucks or something, you can make those at home so even easier. Yeah. Yeah. And that, by the way, that's another great handheld food. Well, I love this inspiring conversation of things I don't normally think about. Before we go, I have a question for you because I haven't asked you this in a long time and I and I always like to hear. Is there a favorite thing that you made this week? Oh, that's a good question. I did make something really delicious this week. Um, I had a feeling. We had this really interesting experience in our garden. We I thought we were planting one thing and I planted some Something else. This actually reminds me of you, which is that I thought I was planting rye. I was given these seeds to plant. And I think the woman gave me parsnip seeds because there are parsnips all over my garden. (laughs) And at first I was like, oh, I'm just going to pull this rye out. Like, I don't know. I I see space for my summer crop. And I was like, what is that? That looks like a, I don't know. And then I tasted it. I was like, that's a parsnip. So there's all these parsnips. So I made this really delicious. I roasted parsnips. I roasted a little bit of cabbage. I roasted cauliflower. And then I made a salad with farro and a little bit of cheese and a bunch of herbs. And it was really delicious. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good. I sort of based it on that farro salad that we did a whole episode, potluck episode, where you cook the farro in like equal parts of water and vinegar. So it gives it all this flavor. And so it's all these really beautiful roasted vegetables. Parsnips get really sweet. And then the cauliflower also gets sweet and the cabbage gets sweet. And then the farro is really yummy. And then I added a bunch of herbs to it. And then I added some like really sharp cheese. That sounds so good. I so good. This is a week I wish I was living in your house more than any other week because <laughs> – I had a cold this week. You may still hear it in my voice. And also Jonathan was out of town. And I don't know about you, but when I'm cooking just for myself, my inspiration level goes way down. Like Agreed. I did make a couple meals with care and made them delicious. But for the most part, I was just like kind of eating in a utilitarian way, like sort of rice and vegetables and maybe. Right. But I had this inspiration that of something I want to make. So that's what I'm going to share with you on my end. I, I don't know where I saw it. But it inspired me to do the same, which is, well, first of all, I went to the farmer's market this week and this one vendor had the 
deepest, most beautifully purple cauliflower. Like I've seen purple cauliflower before. I've never seen anything like this. Oh, wow. And you know, like when you see an incredible vegetable and you're just like, I have to- I have to have that. I have to have have that. Yes, totally. I wasn't planning on it, but now I must have it. And so I think I'm going to make it tonight. But somewhere I saw someone, I either dreamt this or saw this. (laughs) So I don't know where it came from, but very paper thin, almost mandolin slices of cauliflower roasted. Oh my gosh. So I think I'm going to like- as thinly as possible, slice my cauliflower, roast it with a ton of olive oil. And then I was thinking of doing some grilled lemon, very, very paper thin slices of lemon grilled in a, like in a cast iron. So they're charred and then doing farro with that and maybe shaved parm, oh my maybe gosh, some that herbs. Amazing. But really the focus yeah. being like these very thin, crispy roasted cauliflower as like a main salad. Yes. And I might do that um, with some well, more chicken. You could cook your farro with vinegar and some herbs if you wanted. That's what I think the brilliance of that recipe taught me is like, I love farro, the flavor of it on its own, but when you add this vinegar element to it, it creates so much flavor. I'm so glad you reminded me. I'm going to totally do that. Yeah. I'll report back. Yeah, please report back. I wish I lived near you, especially since you have a cold, because one of the things I did with the tiny parsnips, because they kind of weren't like usable, yeah. is I made a broth. Oh, and I yum. also I also harvested a bunch of celery because it's kind of gone to seed now. So it, I basically made like a celery and parsnip broth, yum. which would be perfect for a cold. I know. Send it this way. <laughs> <laughs> well, as usual, this was really lovely, and I'm glad we talked about all these fun handheld meals and also sweet memories. We need to go back to Seattle together. Peroshki, Peroshki, man. If you're anywhere near that place, like I so highly recommend. I still dream of those Peroshkis. You know what? They may have opened a location not far from here. We're going to have to do some investigating because maybe we have to go together when you're visiting. Oh my gosh. All right. To be continued. Bye. See you soon. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. Happy cooking and eating.